Today, we're talking about clarity and continuity from Parashat Vayera. Actually, it's not Vayera, it is Chaye uh, Sara, Parashat Chaye Sara. And there's a sermon about three of our commitments. More times than I can count, I have been amazed at the weekly assigned readings from the Torah, from the Haftarah and the apostolic writings today. It's, a, it's always a source of, to, of amazement to me at how these prescribed readings regularly illuminate situations we as a community are currently facing. This happens not just once in a while, but often, regularly, as a matter of fact, frequently. As we look toward our annual congregational business meeting, this is happening again. Today's reading touches on issues that need clarification uh, for some of us uh, who have uh, raised questions inspired by the onset of our annual business meeting. And I am certain there are others who would appreciate clarification, even if they have not yet formulated such questions. One of the issues about which people are requesting clarity is what are the foundations of interrelationship between Jewish and non-Jewish people as applied to this particular Messianic congregation? It's a good question. It's a proper question. And today's readings help us to lay a biblical groundwork uh, for properly orienting ourselves to this really good question. Hold on, I'm having a, a technical problem. Thank you. And today's readings help us to lay a biblical groundwork for properly orienting ourselves to this question. It is important to be properly oriented to a question because the angle from which you see something will determine what you see. And if you look at something from the wrong angle, it skews your vision. But the good news is that today's readings help us to stand in the right place, in a biblical place, from which we can see our issues in an unskewed way. And when you see an issue in an unskewed way, your chances of understanding the issue and its implications changes. So briefly today, let's look at three clarifying issues highlighted by our Torah reading. If we will get a proper perspective on these three issues, we will get a proper perspective on the questions some have concerning the relationship of Jewish people and non-Jewish people in the Ahavatzion community. Let's call these. Uh, let's call these three. Uh, these three issues continuities. First, continuity of faith experience. Second, continuity of peoplehood, and third, continuity of courtesy and hospitality. First of all, continuity of faith experience. We read in this parasha of how 
aged Avraham sends his servant Eliezer all the way across the Fertile Crescent from Canaan to Padan Aram in modern Iraq, Abraham's birthplace, to get a wife for his son Yitzchak. Eliezer goes with 10 camels laden with gifts and a number of men with him. When he arrives there, he and his group stop by a well and he prays to Adonai, Adonai, God of my master Avraham, please let me succeed today and show your grace to my master Avraham. Here I am standing by the spring as the daughters of the townsfolk come out to draw water. I will say to one of the girls, please lower your jug so that I can drink. If she answers, yes, drink. And I will water your camels as well. Then let her be the one you intend for your servant Yitzchak. This is how I will know that you have shown grace to my master. Notice this. Notice how Eliezer has the faith to pray to Avram's God and dares to expect that Avraham's God will answer his prayers as he does for his master. That's important. Eliezer believes that the God of Avraham will be faithful to him. We gathered here are children of Avraham by birth, by faith, or by both. We are not just Avraham's servants as Eliezer was. We are children of Avraham, whether by faith, by birth, or by both. Do we dare to expect that God will answer our prayers as he did for Avraham? Yes, we do. We here at Avatzion are a community that dares to believe that God will be with us as he was with Avraham. We also believe that God will interact with us as he did with the people in the newer covenant. We believe in a continuity of faith experience, a continuity between our faith experience and that of the people in the Bible. The great Christian philosopher Dallas Willard comments on this. Let me show you what he said. He said, if we are really to understand the Bible record, we must enter into our study of it on the assumption that the experiences recorded there are basically of the same type as ours would have been if we had been there. Those who lived through these experiences felt very much as we would have if we had been in their place. Unless this comes home to us, the things that happened to the people in the Bible will remain unreal to us. We will not generally be able, genuinely be able to believe the Bible or find its contents to be real because we'll have no experiential substance for us. When I speak of continuity of faith experience, I'm not saying that our experiences will be duplicates of the experiences of Bible characters, certainly not in every case. Instead, I am saying that as we read the Bible and as we walk in faith with the God we find there, we will recognize a continuity between our experiential life with God and what we find in scripture. 
we will be conscious that Avraham's God is our God, just as was the case for Eliezer. So here at Avatzion, we have a continuity of faith with the patriarchs and matriarchs, the prophets and the psalmists of Israel, and the apostles and the common people of the early Yeshua communities. We aspire to that, we nurture that, we believe for that, we practice that. That's one of the continuities that we experience here. Let's move on to continuity of peoplehood. The issue of peoplehood is all over Genesis, the book which lays the foundation for all the rest of the Bible. And this continues into Revelation, where the, where the gathering around the throne in Revelation is said to be people, uh, those from every people, tongue, tribe, and nation. And we're at the end of Revelation, in chapter 21, verse 3, we read, Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples. Some translations say people, but correctly, it's peoples. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. We see this, uh, this issue of our rootedness in a particular people this week and how Avraham commissions uh, uh, Eliezer to go back to uh, Padan Aram to get a wife for his son. Look at the way Avraham charges Eliezer. He has two concerns in his mind. What are they? Okay, first of all, by now Avraham was advanced in years, and Adonai had blessed Avraham and everything, and Avraham said to his servant, who had served him the longest, who was in charge of all he owned, put your hand under my thigh, because I want you to swear by Adonai, the God of heaven and God of earth, that you will not choose a wife for my son from among the women of the Canaanites, among whom I am living, but that you will go back to my homeland, to my kinsmen, to, to choose a wife for my son Yitzchak. And the servant replied, as you remember, suppose the woman, the woman isn't willing to follow me to this land. Must I then bring your son back to the land from which you came? And Avraham said to him, see that, see to it that you don't bring my son back there. Adonai, the God of heaven, who took me away from my father's house and away from the land I was born in, who spoke to me and swore to me, I will give this land to your servants. He will send his angel ahead of you, and you were to bring a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is unwilling to follow you, then you are released from your obligation under this oath. Just don't bring my son back there. The issue that will stand out for most of us is that Avraham does not want his son leaving the land of promise to settle in Padana Ram. He says, don't take my son back there. I want him here. This is the land of promise that God promised me. Avraham wants to maintain the continuity of covenant promises God made with him which includes the land of Canaan and its environs. So under no circumstance is Eliezer to bring his son back to the old country. But what we can too easily miss is that Abraham is insistent that his son 
marry someone from his own people. This is huge, biblically. Was it wrong for Avraham to want to provide for the continuity of his people? Was this due to prejudice on his part? There's not a word in the Bible to support that. And many words to say that, yes, continuity of people, of tongue, of uh, tribe and nation is part of God's creational design, both in the first creation and in the new creation. And that brings me to a conversation I had. Dr. Dan Shaw is one of the um, advisors on my PhD. He was a missionary for 14 years in Papua New Guinea to the Samo tribes people. Here's a, one of the Samo tribes people in his full regalia. These people were cannibals before Dan and his wife got there. The government had recently, quote, pacified the Samo from eating their enemies. Dan went there. He learned their language. He was a Wycliffe Bible translator. He gave them the scriptures in their language. And for 50 years, he's maintained contact with this tribe, which is now believers, good believers. And Dan once had a conversation with one of the elders of the tribe. And he said, Brother Dan, I have a question. He says, what is it? He said, when we get to heaven, how will they know we are Samo? He, he, the man was concerned that in heaven, he should be recognized as part of this people because being a Samo is who he is. And he wants to know, will I, will I always be who I am? Because if I'm not who I am, then I don't know who I'll be. And I want to look at this a little bit with you. You see, this man realized that being a Samo, with all of their history down through the ages, their collective sense of selfhood, including their coming to faith experience with the God of Israel, this man realized that for all of this, he was still a Samo and part of that people. If people were to know him in heaven, they would have to know him as a Samo, or they wouldn't know him at all. Being a Samo was who he was. And I came up with this sentence that captures what I'm trying to say. If we stop being who we were, we will no longer be who we are. If we stop being who we were, we'll no longer be who we are. We won't know who we are. Peoplehood continuity is a human thing. It's a good thing. And it is right for Jewish believers in Yeshua to remain strongly rooted in who we have been down through the ages, Jews. And it's not wrong for us to remain strongly connected to our people. If we stop being who we were, we will stop being who we are, and we will not really know who we are anymore. Something precious is lost when you forget who God made you to be. It is right to stay connected with one's past and with one's people. With all of this in mind, perhaps now you understand why Avaxion is a congregation 
that seeks to preserve the continuity of Jewish peoplehood and of holy tradition. If other Jews are to come to Yeshua faith, and I'm speaking of lots of them, we aspire to see lots of our people come to Yeshua faith. They will need to see a congregation where when they look around, they find the faces of their people. Donald Anderson McGavern, the founder of the Fuller Seminary School of Church Growth, said that people tend to want to become believers with people like themselves. They don't want to lose track of who they are. So we need to have a congregation where Jewish visitors will feel like they are coming home rather than visiting elsewhere. So here in Avatzion, we, all of us, share Avraham's faith experience. We also share his valuation of peoplehood. The third continuity is a continuity of courtesy and hospitality. This is very important. We see this exhibited in how Eliezer, the servant of Avraham, is received by Rivka and her family. In Genesis 24, when Eliezer, his 10 camels, and perhaps as many male helpers, comes to the well and encounters her, and when, he, uh, when she takes him to our house, what do we find? At least 10 aspects. Rivka gives him a drink of water when asked and does it immediately. She lets him, number two, she lets him finish before she speaks to him again. Number three, she volunteers to draw water for his camels, 10 of them. Number four, she does this quickly and running back and forth to the well until she was finished. Number five, Eliezer gives her gifts of jewelry as an expression of gratitude and regard. Number six, he asks, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? And she responds, we have plenty of straw and fodder and room for staying overnight for 10 camels and perhaps as many men, very hospitable. When she hurries home and her brother Lavan uh, hears about the encounter, he runs to the spring and finds Eliezer, his men and his camels. Number eight, he invites them to his home and arranges for water to be brought to wash their feet and those of the men with him. Number nine, he feeds them. Number 10, they have a courtly conversation about Rivka becoming wife to Yitzchak, and this is arranged. Notice the courtesy and the hospitality. What does this have to do with our synagogue and the role of people who are not Jewish, non-Jewish people? Just this. Non-Jewish people are never to be treated discourteously or inhospitably here. Paul comments on the ch uh, change in status that Yeshua brought to bear. This is from the contemporary English version of, uh, of um, hold it a second, the, cont uh, the contemporary English version of Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says this, says, don't forget that you are Gentiles. In fact, you used to be called uncircumcised by those who take pride in being circumcised. At the same time, at that time, you did not know about Messiah. You were foreigners to the people of Israel. You had no part in the promises God had made to them. You were living in the world without hope and without God, and you were far from God. But 
Messiah offered his life's blood as a sacrifice and brought you near to God. Notice the balance Paul strikes between the continuing differentiation between Jews and non-Jews. He says, he says, you're Gentiles. That's okay. It's not a sin. It's not a blight. It's not unfortunate. But he also talks about the unity we share in the Messiah. He continues, Messiah has made peace between Jews and Gentiles and has united us by breaking down the wall of hatred that had separated us. He even brought Jews and Gentiles together as though we were only one person when he united us in peace. Notice that balance. He brought Jews and Gentiles together as if we were, united, we were one person. We're not one person, but we are united, so united, that it's as though we are one person. On the cross, Messiah did away with our hatred for each other. He also made peace between us uh, and God by uniting Jews and Gentiles in one body. There it is again. Messiah came to preach peace to you Gentiles who were far from God and peace to us Jews who were near God. And because of Messiah, all of us can come to the Father by the same spirit. You Gentiles are no longer, this is great. You Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens with everyone else who belongs to the family of God. That's hot. Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners, no longer outsiders, but still there is a distinction for Paul. A Gentile and Messiah is still a Gentile, that is, a representative of a particular creational, national, and ethnic origin. And a Jew is still a Jew, also of a particular national and ethnic origin. But in Messiah, we should all live in unity. That is, a unity of partners who are essentially different, like the unity of man and wife. So again, in the body of Messiah and in this congregation, non-Jews are to be treated hospitably and with courtesy, not as outsiders and strangers. The unity that God creates is the reconciliation and cooperation of those who were and who remain essentially different. As I often say, God's miracle is not uniformity. We are not exactly alike. It is not unanimity. We are not always in agreement. His miracle is unity, that those who were and who remain essentially different live together in respect, love, and peace, the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So let's summarize. We will close with three applications of what we've learned today. First, we all share a continuity with the faith experience of Abraham and the servants of God we find in Scripture. We share an expectation that our experience with God and theirs should have much in common. Second, we have seen that all human beings, including Jewish human beings, will share a certain rootedness in their own people 
which we termed a continuity of peoplehood. This is good. This is how God made us to be and should never be used to downgrade others while at the same time being valued, maintained, and nurtured. We value who we are, we maintain who we are, we nurture who we are, but we don't look down our noses at people who are not the same. So Ahamatzion is a congregation that values and preserves Jewish peoplehood, Jewish life, and Jewish identity. Third, we have seen Avatzion is committed to showing courtesy and hospitality to others, whoever they might be. And in the case of the family of faith, we meet each other as siblings, Jews being the natural children and others being the adopted children of the same Father God. By this adoption, non-Jews are not just friends, they are family. This is a continuity of courtesy and hospitality. The trick is that all these three factors, continuity of spiritual experience, particularities of peoplehood, and courtesy and hospitality to Gentiles are no, who, uh, who are no longer strangers, but members of the Commonwealth of Israel, all these things must be kept in balance. That takes attention and skill. A final point. Avatzion exists especially to be a magnet and a home for Jewish people and their families who may believe in Yeshua or who may not yet. We are especially a home for them. By design, our board members at Avatzion are Jewish people, and our voting members are Jewish people and members of their families. Why? Good question. At this time, the membership of the Messianic Jewish movement is about 80 to 85% non-Jews. Why is that? It's because there are far more Gentiles in the world than Jews. It's because the number of non-Jews who want to do the Jewish thing vastly outnumbers the number of Jews who want to do the Jesus thing. I'll say that again. The number of Gentile people who want to do the Jewish thing vastly outnumbers the number of Jews who want to do the Jesus thing. So if we do not set up a structure which gives priority to Jewish membership, Jewish life, and Jewish community, then without a doubt, this congregation will rapidly become a non-Jewish congregation with a few Jews added. Now, is that an evil? No but it's not what we're called to be. We're not called to be a Jewish-style church and not a synagogue. The word synagogue means gathering, and it's a gathering of the descendants of Jacob. We do not believe that becoming a Jewish-style church is our calling. I'll bet you don't think that's our calling either. I don't think you would be here if you thought that. We are called to be a Messianic synagogue, there already are uh, many congregations where if one or two or maybe three families stay home, there are no Jews present. That's fine. God bless them. But it doesn't get the job done of being a magnet 
to the Jewish world. Should a Jewish person wander in, they will feel themselves to be a stranger in a strange land. And by the way, in case no one told you this, let me say this. As a force for winning Jewish people to Yeshua faith, the Messianic movement in general is not doing very well. We consider this to be a tragedy, and we want to do all that we can to reverse the trend. So let me finish with a true Avatzion story. It's about a lady I will call Mrs. Goldberg, which is not her name, her son Larry and her daughter-in-law Barbara. That's all the names have been changed to preserve the privacy of these people. But the story is true. And I know these people and people who've been in our congregation for a long time will remember them. So let me remind myself of the names that I invented, Larry and Barbara and Mrs. Goldberg. Larry and Barbara, Larry was a Jew and his wife Barbara is a Gentile and they used to go to Chuck Swindoll's Evangelical Free Church in Orange County. I forget the community, but a very large church with a very famous pastor. And they had a son and uh, they had a dedication service at the church for their baby. And Mrs. Goldberg, Larry's mother came, this Jewish woman from the East Coast whose husband was, now, what do you think her husband did for a living? Was he a doctor? No. Was he a lawyer? No. He was an accountant. That's the holy trinity of Jewish employment. At any rate, Mrs. Goldberg came out to California to be at this dedication service of her grandson at Chuck Swindoll's Evangelical Free Church. And during the service, Mrs. Goldberg turned to her daughter-in-law, Barbara, and said, I don't belong here. That's a tragedy. Later on, sometime within the following year, we had a Sukkot service on the front lawn of the Greenspan family, who used to be uh, bastions of our congregation. And we had a sukkah set up on their front lawn, and we had a Sukkot service. And Mrs. Goldberg and her daughter came along with her son, Larry, and her daughter-in-law, Barbara. And uh, during the uh, service, Mrs. Goldberg went to her daughter and said, you know, this is just like home. Now, we want that to be the experience of Jewish people. So we strive to have a significantly Jewish community that values Jewish peoplehood. Because we want Jewish people to come to our services and say, not, I don't belong here, but this is just like home. We value the non-Jewish people who help us to fulfill our calling. Um, it's kind of like my friend, Dr. Dan Shaw, that I told you about before. It's a noble thing that a brilliant man like this, he and his Jewish wife went to the jungles of Papua New Guinea to reach the Samo tribes people who had only recently been pacified from cannibalism. Is it a noble thing for them, this PhD in uh, 
and, and brilliant man to spend 14 years of his life bringing the knowledge of God to these people, extraordinarily noble. It's also very noble when non-Jewish people come alongside us in our congregation to help us fulfill our responsibility to our people. We honor you and uh, we're, we hope that you'll understand that even though we especially value Jewish peoplehood, you folks are not chopped liver. And with that, I'm done. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the example of scripture today, the example that we've seen of, of hospitality, of peoplehood, of everything we've seen. Help us at Avatzion to be balanced between being faithful to our calling and being hospitable to those who come alongside us to help us fulfill our calling. And as for people who just come to visit for a while, may they feel that they were treated well. That's the way we want it to be, because that's the way you want it to be. And we thank you for the privilege of serving you among the descendants of Jacob in Yeshua's name. Amen. Well, <clears throat>